You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number three. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan at the bottom of the hour. Champions Tour golfer, he'll be teeing up this weekend at the Shaw Charity Classic, Stephen Ames. Will join us. We'll give away those movie passes to the Gran Turismo movie based on a true story. And Maddie, more facts about Saudi Arabia. Oh, good. Can't wait. No. No, I'm not going to do that. Very excited for that. Yeah. Very high on my list of destinations I want to vacation in. Yeah. Uh, thanks to uh, Greg and Varsity who texted in and goes, uh, Thanks, guys. Now I'm canceling my dream trip to Saudi. The more you know. Yeah, it's shortly behind the center of the sun and Antarctica. Okay. Um, we're also uh, want to hear your hypothetical Noah Hannafin uh, trade proposals. Uh, if we like it, uh, you win movie tickets. 960, 960, name and location. We'll give them away after Stephen Ames. But right now, um, senior writer, sportsnet.ca, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Ryan Dixon. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, do you want to give us a fun hypothetical Noah Hannafin trade proposal, or do you want to do it at the end of the interview? Um, why don't we go, we'll save that one for the end. Okay, sounds good. Um, you wrote a piece on the gaping hole now down the middle of the ice for the Boston Bruins. What, what's your read on this team? Are, we know that the record-setting year, the, the shocking first-round exit at the hands of the Florida Panthers, I, they still got a young, really good young core of really talented players. Like, are the Bruins a playoff team? Are they a bubble team? Will the top three in the Atlantic What's your read on this team as currently constructed, Ryan? You know, I was writing about this yesterday, the, like, what now for Boston. And before I get into what I think they should do, I will say I was actually struck when I examined the roster by how young some of the guys are. Like, you forget that McAvoy's only 25. Pasternak just turned 27. And the piece I, was, uh, I wrote, you know, I kind of teed it off with, usually when two of your best players are at the end of the line, it's a sign the cohort of players you had are just done and it's time to move on, right? That's what basically happened in Chicago. That's what one day happened in Pittsburgh, even Tampa Bay, you know, Hedman, Kucherov, Samco, they're all three years apart. But in Boston, it's this interesting situation where because the team wasn't built that way, because it wasn't like, well, we were bad for five years, drafted all these guys and got good. It was staggered. You, you have these guys in very different phases of their career. So I have to say, like, the last couple of years, I've been looking at the Bruins and kind of been pessimistic, and all they've done is, like, go out and set records for most points in a season. And now when you would say it's easy to be pessimistic because they've lost these two guys, I look at the infrastructure and I think, well – there are two centers out there, one of which Calgary fans are very familiar with, and another one in Winnipeg, who have been at the center of trade rumors, who are one year away from being UFAs. And whether it's Lindholm or more specifically, I think Mark Shifley, there's kind of a dream fit out there for Boston. Um, it's tricky because they're obviously up against the cap, as you know is the case when you have a lot of good players and you have to pay McAvoy nine and Pasternak 11, um, and it's tricky because they don't have a lot of futures because they've been spending first-round picks at the deadline or, you know, not drafting high. They have a, probably a bottom five, maybe bottom three system. However, I do think they could probably cobble enough together to pique the Jets' interest, and if you slot Shifley in there and, you know, presumably sign him to an extension, if you could pull that off, and put him at the top of your lineup. You know, Zaka really was, I don't know about, breakout might be too strong a word, but had a, a really solid year, almost a 60-point guy last year. Um, he just looks like he's going to be a great find. He's 26. He's signed to what I would expect will become, quickly look like a value deal. You've got Charlie Coyle on a third line. Now, all of a sudden, if you could do that, you'd be running three six-foot-three guys out there at one, two, three, and to some degree, I don't think you'd miss a beat. So, you know, what we know for sure is this is the, the Bruins aren't going to fold the tent and start selling off players and rebuild. They're going to go out there and aggressively attempt to try and win this year. And if they can't land a player like Shifley or Lindholm, okay, sure, it's a conversation, I would say, about whether they can 
get into the playoffs. I think they still could because so much of the the rest of the team is still so sturdy and, and they have a great goalie tandem. But if they could make that happen, if, you know, they've kind of known if X, then Y, if these guys go, then we turn our attention to these players who are still out there um, via trade. You know, there's, you mentioned Hannafin, Lindholm, Shifley, uh, Hellebuck, you know, basically the good players on Winnipeg and Calgary are guys we came into this offseason talking about as, as potential trade candidates and, and a handful of them are still there. So the Atlantic's competitive, but I, I definitely don't take this as a death blow for Boston. And if they can swing a deal to put a top line center in there, um, then I honestly think they're right back in the thick of it. Ryan, the trade is an interesting query for sure. Like we had Steve Conroy, who's a writer in Boston on a couple weeks back, and he basically said what the Bruins have to trade right now is one of their two goalies in Swayman or Allmark. That's what they have for assets. So knowing that, if I'm the Flames or I'm the Jets, am I even picking up the phone when Don Sweeney calls? Because like you mentioned, the assets aren't necessarily there, especially for what both these teams should be looking for. Well, so here's the catch with the Jets. They made a lot of noise about wanting guys who were like NHL ready, right? So in the Dubois deal, we saw it wasn't Futures. It was Iafalo, uh and Velarde. So they're already putting Velarde in, who's 23. Like, to some degree, I don't think they necessarily have to go out there and get a bunch of guys who are 22, 23 and already in the NHL. If the Dubois deal accomplished that, then I think you could look at the Bruins and go, we don't have a great system, but you've got Fabian Lysel. That's their, their best prospect he's just finishing his rookie year in the AHL had a decent showing he's 20 years old he actually might be ready to play in in a a third line role in the NHL so if you're the Bruins and you're willing to do Lysel and a first round one of the first round picks you could put in play you know if I'm Winnipeg I'm looking at that going well we already got guys who can we can slot in the lineup immediately from the Kings we might be able to put the Bruins top prospect into our lineup starting in October, if not next October, and we can pocket a first-round pick that we could use or we could turn around and spend on another player. So, I, I mean, there's not a, a ton there farm system-wise. And then, you're right, it ultimately comes down to, in terms of a cap-clearing situation for Boston, I mean, really, I have to believe that Swayman is the guy, right? He's making less money. He's 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would pique a lot of teams' interest. E- even Winnipeg, which in theory, might have to move on from Hellebuck this summer or certainly is going to have to soon. Like, wouldn't you listen on a guy who's 24 and shown what Swayman has? So I'm not sure about the Flames if there's as good a match with, with Lindholm based on, mm-hmm. you know, what Calgary, what you know, what you sort of indicated they're looking for. But I think with the Jets, because they've already pulled up this one trade where they kind of check those boxes, maybe you'd be more comfortable saying, okay, in this trade with the Bruins, we are, we're happy to take, not long-term futures, but futures, you know, a first-rounder and, and a guy who might be ready to play, but if not, is probably ready to play in 12 months. The Bruins are fascinating because I'm very much like you. Like, I, I felt like this team was going to start sliding, start falling off eventually, and, and last year I thought it was definitely going to happen, and instead they went out and they set a regular season record. What are you looking at for this year? Because I like their defense and I like their goaltending, and the center for the top line has to be solved for sure. But at the same time, just given what they have right now, where do they stack up in the Atlantic? Um, I think if, if they go into the season with Zaka as their number one, I think they're still fighting for a wild card. I think with McAvoy and Hambus Lindholm and Carlo back there, and I think with that goaltending duo, um, I think they've got enough to be a really, really, you know, a sturdy team, but a, but a high-end sturdy team. You know, a team that uh, I think, you know, it's, it would be, it's tough to slot them in front of the Leafs in Tampa Bay in that situation. But, you know, we all know there's teams on the come in, in the Atlantic, but they're still going to be up and down. Ottawa's going to be up and down. Buffalo's going to be up and down. Uh, I think the Bruins, you know, maybe at that point their highs aren't as high as the Sabres or even the Senators, but I still think because they're basically, you know, the way we always say of a one player, like, oh, he's a pro. Guy's just a pro. He's just a pro. Well, that's what the Bruins are as an organization. They're just a pro. You know what you're going to get night after night. So even if they have talent limitations, um, I think they'd still be okay. And, like, don't forget, it wasn't as long as we thought it was going to be, but they started last year without McAvoy, without Brad Marchand, and we're still fine, more than fine. So I think this team would be, uh, you know, you'd have to recalibrate expectations. But 
I still think it'd be a team you wouldn't be super stoked to play in a first-round series. You know, you win your division and you draw the Bruins in round one. It'd be the exact opposite situation that we saw last year in the first round where they were the faves and, you know, things obviously Florida was a much better team than, than it showed in the regular season. And the Bruins had some untimely injuries, including Bergeron, you know, yada, yada, yada. They're gone in, in seven games. I think the Bruins then would turn into that maybe not true cup contender, but still the team you look at and go, this is a tough out. Like we are going to have to fight and claw to score one more goal than this team. Ryan Dixon, senior writer, sportsnet.ca, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, big show, Russick and Rose, 960, the fan. Um, Ryan, what, what a time to be alive when we know that a team's social media account doesn't welcome a player back to the team, that that player is probably getting traded. Uh, the Habs never welcomed back Jeff Petrie, and then we're like, uh-oh, probably getting dealt, and then he got dealt to the Red Wings yesterday. If that isn't uh, a piece of inside information, I don't know what the hell is. God, that's funny. I didn't know that, but <laughs> that is definitely a sure sign when you don't get the welcome back, PD. Happy yeah. to have you. I guess we can uh, we can assume he doesn't need to pack his bags, and he still doesn't have to pack because he lives in Detroit in the summer and he can stay there. Um, look, as multiple people pointed out uh, on Twitter and beyond, when the Canadians reacquired Petrie, whatever that was, a couple weeks ago, at that point they had been involved in three Jeff Petrie trades all to the enormous benefit of the organization because the original trade to get him, and I think 15 from Edmonton for a second-round pick, yeah. was an incredible piece of business by Mark Bergevin. He got a six-foot-three right-shot guy who's fast and just got better every year he was in Montreal. You know, uh, things sort of went off the rails in any number of respects on and off the ice uh, in the world and, and with the Canadians and Petrie wanted out as a, as a veteran player who I think had had enough of living in Canada during COVID. They did not rush the trade. They waited. They wound up getting uh, Mike Matheson from Pittsburgh last summer, who, when healthy, was basically having, you know, by far his best season in the NHL. And that 29 looks like a bit of a classic late-blooming defenseman, sort of the way Petrie was when they got him. Um, and then, of course, the deal to, to reacquire him, they, they unloaded Mike Hoffman. They picked up a second-round pick. So, really, the fact that they got peanuts from Detroit at the end on the fourth Jeff Petrie deal, you know, you huh. have to zoom out and look at the whole body of work, basically from, you know, reacquiring him from Pittsburgh and, and getting a draft pick, getting Hoffman, who they desperately wanted to get off. And even though they're eating salary on the, the deal with Detroit, they're still at the net gain salary-wise for the Canadians. Uh, it's a win. And, you know, I think it's a win, too, for Detroit because you're getting this player at an incredible discount who is, uh, I still think, you know, quite a good player and I would expect will will flourish playing at home. I mean, there's a bit of a logjam now on the Red Wings blue line when you look at it. And you're not exactly sure. I mean, they're kind of in that that phase where we know they're obviously trying to add, but it's still a question of, like, how much attention are you paying to developing guys versus getting a guy who's 35 or 36 to – because you just don't want to be as bad as you've been in the last couple of years. But, you know, you slot him in behind Sider, and, and I think that's that's a nice one-two on the right side for sure. So it's a nice move for the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, I think we always knew there was another domino to fall when the Canadians reacquired Jeff Petrie, and there's probably another domino to fall with Casey DeSmith, who they got in that deal and, and would be the third goalie or maybe even fourth if you're counting Caden Primu. Uh, primo in the um, in the Habs organization so you know you get to training camp and, and find out that uh, either the Bruins do make a trade with Jeremy Swayman and, and need a backup goalie or if someone gets hurt early in camp you know DeSmith might be the next guy who's on the move not for any kind of significant return but you know a return nonetheless so um, you know the Habs management management uh, Kent Hughes has shown that he's pretty adept at making these these moves that put the organization in a, a better place in terms of, you know, asset wise and, and, and cap management wise, because he did inherit a lot of, a lot of big deals from the previous regime. So, you know, he's pretty open about the fact they are still not in a position where he thinks they're going to compete. Otherwise they might've tried to talk Jeff Petrie into sting because he, he would have improved their blue line. But um, when you look at the, you know, the, the end result of all the Petrie wheeling and dealing, the the three deals even in the past 12 months, the Canadians have really come out ahead. Um, Ryan, we talked about this earlier on in the show. I want to get your opinion. It feels like the Senators, Sabres, and Red Wings are all kind of in the same boat. How would you power rank those teams in the Atlantic? I would say Detroit three, 
This is where it gets tricky because, I mean, the goaltending is such a question for Buffalo. You know, I'm not saying Corpusalo, you know, it's a done deal, but it's an easier path to see for Ottawa getting solid goaltending. Whereas with Buffalo, it's like, well, they've got, you know, these magnificent players and uh, up front and, and on the blue line who either have broken out or, or feel like they could, but it still could be undone by having, you know, Eric Comrie and, and a rookie in Devin Levi. So I guess I would go Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit. Detroit continues to be fascinating to me as they look to take a step forward here, but at the same time, there's a lot of questions with that group moving forward. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Western Conference a little bit here as well. Uh, and to me, the Central Division for a long time has been one of the kind of, you know, the division to model yourself after, loaded with great teams from St. Louis to Minnesota, Dallas, et cetera, et cetera. How are you looking at that division this year? Like, how many good teams do you think are going to come out of the Central Division? Or is it going to be more like the Atlantic, where there's going to be one or two good teams and a lot of guys fighting for spots? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, Colorado, I think, getting a full summer off, they know what's going on with Landeskog, whereas that was hanging over their head last summer. You know, they've obviously made moves to to address that. You know, I, I would expect Colorado to finish at the top of that division. Dallas... You know, maybe the addition of the of the UFA season, the unexpected uh, add to the UFA market 24 hours before Matt Duchesne. I mean, Dallas is clearly going in the right direction. But after that, yeah, it is a real, a real grab bag. I mean, Minnesota, again, tends to be a team that you look at and you're like, I don't think they're going to be that great, but they always seem to be better than you expect. And they certainly have a good prospect line, but it's still tough to look at a team that, is as unimpressive down the middle as Minnesota and think they, you know, I, I, I would basically, I would say tier one is Colorado, small break, next tier Dallas, and then you've uh, a tier below that is, is Minnesota. <laughs> then you're into that true grab bag. I mean, you put Chicago at the bottom, probably Arizona just above that, but between Winnipeg, Nashville, and St. Louis, I mean, you could tell me a lot of things there. Like the Jets, who knows what, what their roster looks like when the puck actually drops, whether Hellebuck's gone, whether Shifley's gone. But by the same token, they've got guys coming. The Jets are they're a good team at identifying talent and developing talent. So I, I could see where there might be low expectations. Um, the Jets would actually sort of outstrip those. And, and maybe the way they were fighting for their playoff lives in a bad way this year, mm. they could be fighting for their playoff lives in a good way this year. Mm. Nashville, I mean – who knows? As much as I was not a fan of what they did because it felt like, you know, Barry Trotz is coming in, they're buying out Duchesne, they're shipping out Johansson mm-hmm. and eating some salary. It felt like it was time to turn over a new leaf and then boom, they just go out and sign Ryan O'Reilly. Well, is he a good player? Of course he is, but it's 33-year-old Ryan O'Reilly really what the National Predators are after right now. But they've got UC Soros and they've, you know, they've got that Nashville structure and you know, I, I have a hard time believing they're a high floor team in a sense because of the goaltending. Sure. Um, but it's also very difficult to see them doing anything more than getting into a into a wild card. And then you know the Blues had a down year, but again, historically they're not a team that's down for long. We know that Doug Armstrong, you know, he's pretty vocal about we're not we're not supposed to enter a rebuild or even a serious <laughs> retool here. So you know we'll see what happens. But you've got, I mean, I, I have to put the Avalanche in a tier by themselves. You know, Dallas really is if you told me the Dallas Stars are going to win the Stanley Cup next year I wouldn't be like oh my god I I could absolutely see a path of that happening and then Minnesota just almost by default sort of seems like it's that team that would finish number three unless the Jets you know Velarde comes in and is and is fantastic for them or you know the Cole Perfetti really hits or something like that you know it's it's probably Minnesota's to lose number three and then the Jets, Preds, and, and Blues, you could see either scrapping it out for a wild card or, or being further down the line. Do the Arizona Coyotes belong in the same tier as the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Blackhawks? As the Sharks, the Ducks, and the, the Blackhawks. Um, you know what? I probably would put them maybe a little higher than those guys just because, it's... you know... You, you've got guys like like Keller, 
Um, mm-hmm. Like Schmaltz, who, you know, they're a little further along in their development. I mean, Anaheim's going to be interesting to watch because, you know, Zegris McTavish, Drysdale's coming back. We'll see what happens with Carlson. Like, I would expect he's probably going to play one year in Sweden, but it's conceivable that he could come here and, you know, step into the lineup and, and at least contribute a little. But you're starting to see where things are going in, in Anaheim. So we'll see where they are. But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, obviously Logan Cooley's going to probably be an, an early season Calder pick. Like, yeah. even guys like Alex Kerfoot at this it's stage in their career, like they're not super needle-moving guys. But you know Arizona went out there and said, we've got to do something to help this roster a bit and to help the guys who've been here. So you see Dumba and Jason Zucker and, and, you know, veterans who again, aren't outstanding players, um, but are going to help things along. Um, Barrett Hayden's taken a step as well. So I would, I, I guess basically what you're saying is, are they true seller dwellers like those other teams? No, I don't think so. And they, they had stretches last year. Like they had, I want to say, if you look at their record, like January, February, March, they were about 500, like for a, a, you know, a serious sample size, like 30 games. And then it kind of fell apart at the end, but it, you know, I don't know Would they sniff a playoff spot. Maybe that's asking a bit, but I don't see them being a pushover. Uh, Ryan, before I let you go, uh, this has been some terrific stuff. Give us your hypothetical Noah Hannafin trade. All right, let me at least pull up the Sabres on on uh, cap friendly because I do feel like Buffalo is the team that is most often mentioned when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, any defenseman. Seems like Hannafin would be a fit there. They could you know slot him on one of the top two pairs. I am going off the dome here, but I mean if you're talking about guys who are, are young players who are taking a step, I mean. Start with the cross-offs. I assume everyone knows they're not getting Tage Thompson. I do not think you're getting Dylan Cousins out of there. Uh, Owen Power, Rasmus Dahlin, Devin Levi, I would go ahead and scratch all those names. Now, um, Casey Middlestat, he took a big step. Mm. Um, you know, he started going into the prospect group. Like Quinn, I don't think you would get um, uh, Zach Benson, who they just drafted and is probably a first-round steal, but you know, could you build something around middle stat and a prospect and a draft pick that would intrigue Calgary? I don't know. What do you guys think? Matty? Yeah, I think you could definitely build something around there. Like, the thing is, there's a lot of good prospects in that Buffalo system. It just becomes a question of who are they willing to say goodbye to because they've had a lot of picks lately, they've had a lot of high picks lately, and I've really liked what they've done, especially those two guys that they drafted out of the former Winnipeg WHL organization now playing out of Wadachi. Yeah. And I mean, if you're Buffalo and there's a chance to get Hanson, especially if he's going to be there long-term and you're looking at Mm. the composition of your roster, you know, not that, you know, there's, you're always going to find room for good players, but you've got, if, if, if you kept cousins in middle stat and, and Thompson, you know, you're starting to run out of top six sports spots for too long. Like Jeff Skinner is going to be there for a while. Alex Tuck is going to be there for a while. It hurts a little less to get rid of the Jack Quinns of the world, the Matthew Savoys of the world. So, and those guys aren't too, too far away, right? You're talking about guys mm-hmm. who were drafted, you know, one, two, three years ago. They could be players that if, if you're Calgary or, or, or another team you're looking at saying, yeah, these guys could be in our lineup before too long. So, Feels like there's a deal to be made there, um, but we'll see. Uh, Ryan Dixon, uh, senior writer, Sportsnet.ca. Dixon, uh, great stuff. Thanks for this, pal. Anytime. Uh, there he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Broadcast Hotline. 15 time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403 248 3344. We'll wrap up the show with your hypothetical Noah Hannafin uh, trade proposals, your chance to win uh, movie tickets to Gran Turismo based on a true story. 960 960, name and location. But straight ahead, Stephen Ames, Champions Tour golfer, will join us next. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. We'll wrap up the show with your hypothetical Noah Hannafin trade proposals. 960, 960, name and location, your chance to win movie tickets. Two general admissions, two medium drinks, two medium popcorns to Gran Turismo based on a true story. 960, 960, name and location. We'll uh, have the help of Texty McTexterson 
to wrap up the show. Uh, but right now, he is uh, will be teeing it up at Canyon Meadows uh, this weekend for the Shaw Charity Classic. He is a Champions Tour, multiple Champions Tour winner, multiple PGA Tour winner. We say good morning to Stephen Ames on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Stephen, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. Um, I moved to Calgary in October of last year, and the number one thing I noticed uh, golfing, Stephen, was how much further the ball flew with the elevation. Uh, is that something you tell the guys? You keep it a secret so you have a leg up on them? How do you deal with elevation changes when you're playing all around the world? <laughs> That's funny you said that. Uh, no, everybody knows how, ball, how far the ball flies here. <laughs> uh, no, we have um, – there's actually a – an app that you can use it tells you how how high the ball, how high you are, mm. and there's a ratio percentage ratio that you work out for every twelve hundred feet it's two percent less so we're at thirty six hundred really? feet up here almost yeah this, this so it's almost six percent less you take off of your yardage well wow, that's inc- have everything <laughs> yeah like that's that that's incredible I didn't realize it was that much I just know I felt like i I picked up a club essentially uh golfing that's in Calgary. Right. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. It's, in, it, it's incredible. It's like it's like I'm at the first tee. It's like I pump some iron, Stephen, and I'm ready to hit a longer drive than at sea level. It's the best. Yeah, yeah. We feel younger here. That's for sure. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, uh, you've had a ton of success on the senior tour. You're a uh, six-time winner. Um, how is it playing the three rounds? opposed to the four rounds. And obviously, it's still you know physically demanding. You're still walking the course. Uh, but mentally, how much different is that than the four rounds on the PGA Tour? Um, I guess it's not as stressful in some respects, but I think overall it's still the same. Uh, I think it's actually a little harder because you have three rounds. You've got to be spot on for three rounds. In the case of four, you can have one bad round or mediocre round and still make right. up ground with three rounds to go. In the case of the Champions Tour... Not the senior tour. It's um, it's you've got to be spot on for three days, so it's a little harder, I think. Uh, what what's the camaraderie difference between uh, the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour? Yeah, um, there's a big difference there. Some of the guys, actually, the majority of the guys, we finish around the golf, and uh, we'll have a few that will sit around and wait uh, after the round, and probably have a beer or two, sit around and talk, you know, chit chat. Um, well, the, the champions, uh, the regular tour, it's not like, like that way at all. Um, those guys are either heading to the gym or getting work done on their bodies or something just to keep going. One of the things that I find fascinating about the Champions Tour is all the different locations, of course. Um, you would know this track well. What are some of your favorite parts about uh, playing here at Canyon Meadows? Yeah, no, this, the golf course here at Canyon is always in great shape. The greens, again, are in wonderful shape this year. Um, the golf course, I think I'm, the thing I've noticed this year is that they're losing, losing a lot of trees. I think they have a disease mm-hmm. there with some of the pines. So it's starting to look a little uh, wider open rather than the tight fairies that they used to have with their tree line. So I don't know how to say, but I think overall the golf course is probably one of the better golf courses that we play on tour all year. Awesome. And uh, condition-wise, it's always nice. And then, of course, being in Calgary, we're always going to assume that you're going to get four seasons in one day, and it looks like this. It looks like this weekend after they put water restrictions on the city, we're going to get about an inch and a half from the next three days. <laughs> That's the way it crumbles, right? Like it's going to be like thirty degrees here all week, and then it's going to rain on you guys. But hey, you know how know. the weather works up here. I don't have to tell you about that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite hole at, at uh, Canyon Meadows? Um, I'll probably have to say the 18th is yep. the most picturesque hole they got out there with the finishing with the water, with the pond in front of the green there. Um, a lot of, a lot of good holes. You got a lot of great views of the city, uh, and the mountains in the background. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, Steven, you mentioned, uh, trees and tight fairways as a professional golfer. Uh, do you prefer when, when the courses play a lot tougher and scoring and birdies are at a premium or do you like courses where there's a lot of scoring opportunities? It varies. It depends on what part of your game is really strong, I guess. Or that week. I mean, sometimes it changes hmm. the weeks where my driving isn't as strong and then my wedge game is extremely strong. And then it goes vice versa. Driving's not great, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, at this stage, it's this stage of my career right now is like whatever I have in front of me, I tend to try and do as well as I can. So I don't particularly have a favorite favorite 
and how uh, set up or how the golf courses are. Um, Stephen, for for amateur golfers uh, like myself and Matt here on the line with you right now, what is the one part of our game we should constantly work on? Is it just putting? Because I feel like my ball striking is good, but I'm just handing shots away on the green. Is putting paramount, iron play? Like, what is the one thing you should be really concentrating on if you're an amateur golfer? A hundred yards in, for sure. Okay. Always, always, yeah. So if you go through the percentage of golf shots that you hit, this is old school, by the way. Yeah. The percentage of golf shots that are hit, uh, 45% of them are hit from a hundred yards in. Wow. In a round of golf. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. incredible. So the driver, you're only hitting a driver at the most maybe five times, mm-hmm. five or six times. The others are par threes. You're hitting a nine, but everything else it's driver wedge, driver nine and. And if you miss a green or a par five, you get it up and down. So it's it's a hundred right. yards in is probably where you spend most of your club, most of your time. Uh, can, uh, Stephen, can I share an incredible stat with you that I don't think you're aware of? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Because um, be. I love the stats you're, you're laying on me today. Um, the incredible 2000 year of Tiger Woods where he was playing golf that I don't think we've ever seen a human being play at that level of golf, and you were right there witnessing it firsthand. He missed 20% of his shots heading into the green from 100 yards out, exactly to what you just yeah. talked about. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? Which I didn't realize it was that high for a guy who seemingly wasn't missing anything. Yeah. Nicholas's, Nicholas in his prime... He used to hit 16 and 17 greens in a round. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, that's just... Exactly. That's absurd. That is absolutely And that's why his short game was not as good as the rest of his game. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't have to because he was hitting greens every yeah. time. Uh, exactly. The fairway. A lot easier when you're putting. Um, Stephen exactly. Ames. Yeah, Champions Tour golfer. Um, he's third in the Schwab Cup standings uh, right now, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Stephen will be teeing it up at the Shaw Charity Classic this weekend down at Canyon Meadows. Um, I'm friends with Ian Leggett, who I'm sure you're familiar with, PGA Tour uh, pro. Uh, Lego told me this, and I want to get your opinion on it. He told me the most important piece of equipment for a golfer is the ball. Don't change my ball. I want to hit the same ball. I can hit your clubs with my ball. Do you agree with that statement, or is it your irons, your wedges, your putter? Is it all about the golf ball for you? I think today it's that more than anything else, yes. Because the golf ball, the golf ball, you've got so many different golf balls out there today that help the average player. So a guy with a club head speed of, say, 95 to 100 miles an hour, mm-hmm. you'll need a ball to stay in the air longer. So you'll need one that spins more. While a guy who's got a ball, uh, club head speed of 115 to 125 wants a golf ball that actually stays in the air but is not as soft, so it doesn't spin as much. Mm-hmm. So it changes, yes, according to the person or how, how, how fast they swing at the club, at the ball. So, so if I'm a weekend golf, hacker, I shouldn't be buying Pro V1s, right, because of the, the, the well, amount of ball, yeah, right? The Pro V1 is actually one of the hardest golf balls, which is what I play with. Well, yeah, but you, yeah, so you you're an incredible golf You're one. a handful of players. Right, yeah, you're, the, you're right. a handful of players on the planet who hit a golf ball incredibly. But if you're a weekend, if you're like a 12, a 15 yeah. handicap, you shouldn't be buying the Pro V1s. You should be buying a lower compression ball, right? Right, which is what the Pro V1X is, which is the red ball. Mm. Okay. Yeah, See? that's the spinny. I, I love one. nerding out on golf <laughs> equipment. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he, he sure does. He sure does. Stephen, yeah, did you? I think ma- it's interesting. Did All you right. make any changes to your game going into this season? Because after last weekend, you've now got four wins on the Champions Tour in this year alone. Did you make any changes, or is it just falling for you this year? No, uh, I didn't make any changes, no, because last year was very solid as well. I finished eighth in the Schwab Cup mm-hmm. money list there. Um, I was just a matter of, like, I didn't make I didn't make the putts, and I, I couldn't close it out on the Sundays when I had the opportunity. This year I've learned how to close it out uh, a little bit better, and uh, I think the only thing that's really changed is probably my mental approach to, the, to how to finish it out, which I've learned to to do better obviously with four wins this year and uh so if it's anything that i'm going to say is it's probably my mental my mental approach to how how to finish the day out or how to play the day when i'm in the lead or one or two behind 
When when you say change your mental approach, what does that entail? Can you take us inside that a little bit? Um, you, usually you get caught up in trying to be perfect when you're playing, mm-hmm. trying to hit the perfect shot. Trying that's me, obviously. Not everybody's that way inclined. Um, but uh, and then rather than just playing your percentages, playing your normal way like you did on the Friday or the Saturday. Sunday, you think you need to press a little bit more. It's quite the opposite. You need to press less. You know, kind of go for more than percentage shot, middle of the green, give yourself opportunities. So if you go through the day and you think about it, you keep pressing and you're hitting 10, 11 greens, you're only giving yourself that many opportunities. Well, you're going for the percentages and you start going 20 feet left or 20 feet right or 20 feet short of the flag, you're still giving yourself 18 chances. So your percentages all of a sudden have gone up. You have more opportunities of making birdies. Steven, what's your favorite golf course in the world? Oh, I haven't got one. Everyone's really? got such thing. Everything's got something unique about it. I mean, you can go you can go play mountain golf here in, in Alberta. You go to Bam Springs, beautiful with all the mountains back there. Silver Tip, the same thing. And then you go to the ocean courses and you go to Pebble Beach. And you look at the ocean there. And then I can go to the Caribbean and I can play the ocean courses down there. Then you go to the, the premier of all premier condition-wise, which would be Augusta National. There's not a blade of grass out of place. I mean, everyone's different. Then you go across to Scotland, and Scotland golf isn't golf without a little wind and a little rain. So it cha- everything changes according to where you are. Uh, you, of course, we all remember uh, when you won the Players' Championship. Uh, talk us through hitting on Sunday into the Island Green on seventeen. That, that day you well, won the was, Players' Championship. Yeah. Well, that was just typical. You pick your club, pick your shot for me. Um, I picked my shape on my shot that I wanted to hit, and I hit the shot, and when I hit it, the gust of wind just got me, and it actually ended up being shorter than when I wanted to hit it. But it was it ended up being 35, 40 feet away, but I ended up two-putting from there. But uh, at that stage of the, of the game, then I was already I was already six up, so I was just trying mm-hmm. to get it home. <laughs> Is is that the most intimidating shot in professional golf? Oh, yeah. It is because the hardest thing there is that you don't have a background. So it's hard right. to get the depth perception. That's what it, makes it very that, difficult. Is that is that whole uh, fun or the seventh at Pebble? Oh, fun? Oh, wow. No, I think <laughs> seven at Pebble is more fun. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, um, think Steven, uh, I think the seventh. 17th is hotter. Um, can you before I let you go? I know you mentioned Augusta National, and uh, for those of us who haven't been there, myself and, and Maddie included, uh, we want to make our way down there. Can you tell us something we probably don't know about Augusta National from somebody who's played the course? TV doesn't do it justice. Really, the elevation changes are drastic because you That's... can stand up at the clubhouse. And look straight down the hill, and you can see the 11th and 12th holes through the trees. And it's straight downhill. It's incredible. It is incredible the elevation changes. You do not see that on television. But when you actually finally get there and walk it, you'll be Mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised how steep some of the hills are. Going Uh, Going up 18 is drastic. And Stephen, I want to get really stupid with you. Did you see? Did you ever see any birds or animals on the course? Because that's something I hear you don't see there. Uh, no, you're right. You don't. You'd hear them. Yeah, but see, you don't see them. Isn't that unsettling? No. Why? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stephen, uh, terrific stuff. Uh, all the best of luck uh, this weekend down at Canyon Meadows. Uh, thanks for this, and let's do it again soon. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great day. There he is, um, Stephen Ames, Champions Tour golfer, a third in the Schwab Cup standing. See, even a guy who's played Augusta National, he hears birds because there's speakers in the trees, mm, man. Yeah, I know. I remember. Pretty. Uh, they kill ominous. all the animals. Um, my girlfriend hates that. Anytime I watch golf now and she hears the birds, she's like, are they real? <laughs> she gets really upset about that. <laughs> are they even real? Not at Augusta. No, no. babe. They're, they're, those are real. Don't worry. This,
they've all been poisoned. Yeah. So they don't ruin the course. Did you know he won a bomber's jacket last weekend for winning the Boeing Classic? Like a nice classic oh, really? leather bomber. An aviator jacket? Yeah, nice. dude. And he looks nice. great in this thing. Fits him Did like he a borrow glove. it from Maverick? No, I they made it for him. He, there's okay. more than one bomber jacket. It's not just for Mav. I get it. Yeah. I have a bomber jacket. What do you think? What, Does that surprise you? you? Okay, it, no. <laughs> Who do you think could pull off this jacket? And I'm going to talk about Patrick. A bomber jacket or an eight ball jacket? Which one can Patrick pull off better? An eight ball jacket? Which one's an eight ball jacket? Oh, it's got it's it's a leather coat, like a David Putty jacket. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Putty. Yeah. Um, I would. Pro- yeah, th- yeah. The picture is literally David Putty yeah, yeah. from the Reverse People yeah. episode. Um, yeah. I think Patty would look great in a bomber jacket. Yeah, I think, I think the, so eight, the eight ball's a little too much flair for our boy oh, Patty. It's Dumont. a little much. <laughs> it's he a does. Much. He yeah. does like to be a little bit under the radar, right? Low key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Low key. The mysterious Which, man that is Patty Dumont. Yes. Yeah. Like Patty's off tomorrow. I have no idea what he's up to. Not nor do I want to know. No, nope. I just <laughs> not even I don't know. Ask. Nope. Yeah, fine. no idea. It's fine. I just wish him well. I just hope he's back it. Friday. He'll like be that's back Friday. Fr- he'll be back Friday. Yeah. We all know he will. No be. idea. Yeah. It'll be the he's, same. He's just shrouded Patrick. in mystery. Yeah, he's mysterious. Yeah, he's he's a, wrapped around in a cloak of question marks. He's an enigma. That's what he is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he, he is. Leaves you wanting more. That's why. But the answers are so foreign. Um, we have about eight minutes to go in the program before Patty takes over with uh, XL Big Show. Um, we've been asking you uh, your hypothetical Noah Hannifin trade proposals, 960, 960 name and location. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Gran Turismo, which is based on a true story. You get two general admissions, two medium drinks, two medium popcorns. Uh, how many we got on the uh, text line I here, got uh, Mr. Dumont? Seven into texty. Okay. Uh, these are the best, the cream of the crop. Yeah, these are the most hilarious ones that weren't just like straight trades. They these actually had is some there messaging in behind. Entertainment it. value. Yes, there's entertainment. Uh, is there value. still a lot of? Is there a lot of anger and bitterness from Airdrie this morning? I, I didn't get. I, I I oh I missed an Airdrie one. I missed Jamie from Airdrie here. I mean, where is it? The Gary Lehman one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can throw. Well, we we have the Gary. I got Lehman. him in. There. Okay, Don't we worry. got. Okay, well, he had another one, but we'll keep him in with the with the Gary Lehman one then. All right, let's fire him up. Oh, texty. Gabe in Calgary, Hannafin and Harvey to Philly for Gritty and Deloriers. Get some toughness back in the dome. <laughs> Get Gritty and uh, Nick Delorier for Hannafin and Harvey. Good. Yeah, perfect. Sorry, I don't want to trade Harvey, but... Harvey's getting a lot of flack around the league when it comes to mascots. I don't know why. Just, why? He was That's ranked like last. That's a terrible take. <laughs> And he was like, he, he's like the, the worst. He's take like the ever. OG mascot. He's like first ever NHL no, mascot. And he's okay. And he's got great swag. He doesn't look too hokey. Yeah. Like, okay. Come on now. No, this. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Paddington the Bear for the Maple Leafs is the dumbest mascot Terrible. in the NHL. Oh, Carlton. Yeah. Like, what does a bear have to do with the Maple Leafs? Yeah, Paddington. <laughs> Paddington be, the Bear. It would be better Stupid. if it was Paddington. I think his name is Carlton. It's Carlton. But yes, whatever. Named after Carlton the Maple Bear. Leafs Gardens on Carlton. Yeah, Paddington Bear is different, but that's fine. He's that's that, a dark story. That but anyway, you know what I meant, Carlton the Bear. I'd rather sweet, Paddington sweet for Toronto. Bear with the red hat. Yeah. He loves marmalade sandwiches. He from loves. Marmalade. <laughs> He's from Peru. Yeah. What is Carlton like? Losing in the first round. Nice. There it is. Yeah. Got him. Zing. Yes, sir. We're sharp. Does he wear number sixty-seven? His old Am are- I right? His old arena became a Loblaws. It's the Madame Center. Yeah, well, same thing. <laughs> well, half of it's still half there. Half of it's a Loblaws. Yeah. <laughs> Come get Madame your Center. get your groceries and watch a little hockey puck. Are yeah. you saying, Patrick, they're not gonna they're not gonna turn the dome into a, a Safeway? No, I'm gonna do that. No, I, no. I think it'll be up for a year and then it'll be parking. <laughs> Are you sure? It's gonna be another lob laws. It'll be a lob. We'll get Daryl Jones on the line. Yeah, oh, save on. He's save on. Save on foods. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe he wants to turn that thing into a mega grocery store. You don't know hey. that. Hey, can I All get right. the next uh, Daryl's deals, bud? <laughs> Shut off. up! Bring off. No, <laughs> no chance, idiot. <laughs> Nobody knows ex- what we're bloody talking about. Yeah, this is like an inside. listen. It's an inside thing of the show that I'm a big fan of Daryl Jones and the Safe on Foods commercials and his n- take no crap attitude in the same. Yeah. Hey, 
can I get some intel on the next sterile steals? No, idiot! <laughs> nice try, jerk! <laughs> hey, that's my line! <laughs> Bell peppers are on sale! Eat it! <laughs> Fuck 99 a pound! This is only for the three of us right now. Yep. Yeah. For nobody else. <laughs> Shout out Daryl. My favorite thing to do. Captain of the Savers, bro. It's call him Daryl Bleepin' Bleepin' Jimmy. <laughs> My favorite thing. Daryl Every time I watch a Flames game and that commercial comes on, I'm like, yes! I, everybody's going to be tuning into his Save on Foods ad now. I'm like really intrigued on like what Daryl Jones does now. <laughs> He's my man. He's I the, love it. He's the bleeping captain of the savers. Like, I would love for the three of us to be in on a Save on Foods commercial. Oh, yeah. That'd be my dream. Mama, we made it. Although, yeah. you, you know that we're just going on a green screen. He's not getting to see us. He's, yeah. he's kind of a big wheel, George. Yeah. He's not even in the he's same room as us. With a giant fur coat on, too. Like a beautiful white fur coat. Big pimp cane. A limo. Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring. All right. What else we got? Brian from Calgary. Hannafin to Toronto for the Zamboni driver and one extra week of holidays for George. <laughs> I'm in for that. <laughs> hey, could always use more Zamboni drivers. Hey, I'm here the rest of the week. Yeah, good for you. Two more days. Hey, I think hey can week. we get a round of applause for George for working three days of the week? Like, come on now. Wow. You're, you're good now. You're done. You're done. You're, you're, Great job. You're done with the vacation. incredible stuff. I think. You think? I'll yeah, find right. Something. Until I'll he find something. Until he decides, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Friday's looking good to be off that yeah, day. Oh, wow. Looks hot. I might be able to get an early tea time in. Uh, <laughs> Monday? Ooh, no, I don't know about that one. <laughs> All right, keep I'm watching rolling. preseason week three football Sunday. I can't work Monday. <laughs> Kellen from Colehurst, Logan Stanley, and a third round for Hannafin and the tickets to Gran Turismo. So Hannafin has something to do in Winnipeg. Nice. Yeah. Zing. Go to the oh theaters. Boy. Zing. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, why don't you? You can right. either go to a film or get in a classic Winnipeg knife fight. Come on down. Oh. No, listen, Hannibal you can and just Han fight off the uh, the toonie-sized mosquitoes they have there. <laughs> toonie? <laughs> You're not giving them enough credit. Okay. Those, All right, those things have been lifting They're small weights, birds, George. man. <laughs> small birds. <laughs> <laughs> you can see their eyes. Yeah. Oh, God, that's terrible. <laughs> okay. This is so stupid. You ever seen a All hummingbird? Right. Yeah. This yeah. one sucks your blood. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hannafin and Josh's blood. tapeworm for McDavid. Mike, Josh's friend. Remember Josh and the tapeworm? <laughs> yes, the tapeworm <laughs> guy. <laughs> Wait, Hannafin plus tapeworm? Hannafin and Josh's tapeworm for McDavid. Oh. Mike, for McDavid. Josh's friend. <laughs> okay. But how long is the tapeworm right now? It has to be at least six feet long for me to consider that deal. You know what I found out? I was watching an episode of House yesterday. Yeah, oh, throwback oh, to wow. House. Yeah, good, good for you. I liked, yeah. I liked House. Uh, tapeworms uh, thrive off thigh meat, so they love uh, if they if they're also in you, they good chance they'll be in your legs as well. They like your thighs really? more. Yes, eh? they love the mm. thigh meat. So what you're saying what is, Patrick, saying like if the three of us ever get into a plane crash and we're stuck in the mountains and we get really hungry. Thigh meat. Thigh, thigh meat's meat. the blur to go? Thigh meat. Okay. Continue. Okay. GVP has the best thighs. Oh, yeah. Rick in Strathmore. <laughs> Hannafin for Messi and a bag of balls. Messi scores eight goals in his first five starts with the World yeah. Cup golden boot on. <laughs> yeah. Messi. I don't know. The NHL might have to change it. You have to, you're allowed to kick the puck in with Messi on your team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they'd, have, they'd also have to get his wife. Maybe she can <laughs> shop on Save on Foods. Yeah, you'd have to bring her. Publix in Florida. Okay, keep him rolling. You imagine if McDavid was like, oh, I'm just going to go play in a beer league. And just... That'd be awesome. Just Do this. Score 80 <laughs> points in three games. Like, that's what Messi's essentially doing It was like right watching now. Bedard in that ball hockey tournament or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, it's like Bedard and a bunch of first-round picks. You're like, what are these kids what doing? What are they doing? <laughs> Why are Doug they doing this? Doug in Calgary. Ma Maddie's on the, the blue line of his beer league team in 97's <laughs> yeah. come down on him. Yeah, I'm just sweating. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Oh just god! Roll in the fetal position. I can't do this. I can't. What how quick he would? If you started, uh, if you, if he, 
if you were given a, a head start, how quickly would he catch you in a 200 foot oh, ice race? In a second. Give him half like, the ice. Half yeah, the you'd ice. have to give half me center ice. ice. You and start I would at lose. half. He would still beat you. Oh, like, for sure. Okay. Without oh, a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I would just love to see. And that. I'm like a. I'm not a bad skater, but I'm not fast by any stretch of the imagination. But I've skated for like my entire life. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, he would catch me with. A, he would have time to go halfway around the rink. <laughs> you do it twice. Yeah, <laughs> before you reach the end. I bet he could do two laps in the time it would take me to do half a one. Okay. Doug in Calgary, the trade for Noah Hannafin, straight up for Neymar, so Noah Neymar. can enjoy all the fun and exciting Saudi Arabia only events. <laughs> okay, we. It's very well done. <laughs> I don't want to make the guys uncomfortable again with <laughs> human rights violations <laughs> Emerson. by Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Patty's already right. playing the next right, last He's like, okay. get me out of here. Emerson from the Valley. How about Hannafin to the Predators and Ryan Tannehill to the Stamps straight up? Thank you for the tickets. <laughs> Thank you for the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I like the confidence. Ryan Tannehill. Who was that? Uh, that was uh, Emerson. Emerson, Emerson, congratulations. You're yeah. going to see Grant Turismo. Be. <laughs> Emerson from the Valley. How about Hannafin to the Predators and Ryan Tannehill to the Stamps straight? Thank you for the tickets. You're welcome. Uh, there he is, Emerson from the Valley. Uh, you've won two general missions, two medium drinks, two medium popcorns to Grand Turismo, which is based on the unbelievable true story of a team of unlikely underdogs, a struggling working-class gamer, Archie, I don't know how to say that last name. A failed former race car driver, David Harbour, yeah, an idealistic motorsport executive. Like he's like a he's a big, he's actor, like a big actor. You said yeah, that like Mr. he's a nobody. <laughs> uh, Mr. Uh, Katy Perry, Orlando Bloom. Yeah, I forgot about Together, that. They risk all to take on the most elite sport in the world. Gran Turismo is an inspiring, thrilling, an action-packed story that proves that nothing is impossible when you're fueled from within. We have more tickets to give away tomorrow, right? That's well Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, we'll do Impossible Flames Trivia tomorrow because we forgot it's Wednesday and we had to do it today because we're such a professional-run organization. You know what? Once we're back in <laughs> September 5th, once everybody's back here, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Be st- and we're going to play Flames Hot Seat. I yeah, can't wait are. for that. Yeah, um, I just got wrangled into this for like some sort of sucker. But yeah, sorry, love it. Sorry, Maddie. Yeah, what do you fine. got coming up in XL Big Show? Oh, uh, we're gonna replay a little bit of uh, Dave Dickinson, Ryan Dixon, some chats from earlier, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get ready. That we'll get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Cool. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Have a terrific day. Bye. Bye. Sit, Ubu. Sit. Good dog. <laughs>